Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. So I think authenticity is about that human connection. And in order to do that, you have to be quite vulnerable. And I think you have to be open. And I think you have to reveal yourself and be prepared to be vulnerable as a leader. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson. And today I'm joined by Sandra Moore. Sandra is the CEO and co-founder of Pan Intelligence, an embedded analytics platform for SaaS vendors. With over 25 years experience working in software, Sandra is an active speaker within technology networks, sharing her passion for data analytics, SaaS and tech startups. She was also recently recognised in the Northern Power Women Awards as Mentor of the Year 2020. Sandra joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Zandra. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Amy. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and hearing your story. So can you tell us a little bit about Pan Intelligence, how you got started and what you're working towards, please? Yeah, absolutely. So so Pan Intelligence is a software business um, and we're in the business of making data insights easy for anybody to um, consume and uh, tailor to whatever their their needs are. So uh, if you imagine... Um, uh, turning every citizen, every person into a data scientist, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so making making data easy to access, easy to use. So a technology that does that. So um, we're selling globally. So as a technology company, all of our customers uh, are also technology companies. So they mm-hmm. tend to take our technology and put it inside their technology. And, and that's how people kind of use us inside other platforms, other solutions. Um, we're based in Leeds. Um, we're a business that's scaling up at the moment. Um, and like I say, we've got, um, we've got people every, everywhere, which is, uh, which has been, uh, a, a useful and interesting place to be, um, after the last two years of sort of living through this remote working. Yeah, absolutely. Which leads me on to my next question. As the leader of that kind of organisation, so you've been, um, it's been 12 years almost, very close to 12 years. Isn't That's it? right, yeah. Yeah. And, and so what kind of challenges are you up against as a leader of that kind of organisation at that stage in its life cycle, scaling up? Uh, so I'm a, a first-time CEO, so um, I'm sort of learning on the job, <laughs> frankly, like, like most leaders do. And uh, there are different stages of growth as you know different life cycles of business and and every stage comes with you know different challenges and I think I'm only sort of learning those stages for the first time so the first challenge is what stage are we in what are the challenges Um, and understanding those actually and then once you know what the challenges are it's easier to kind of lean into to addressing those or finding out what help you need or who can help you with those challenges because let's face it you're not the first person to go through them Um, so you've just got to find the people that maybe a few steps ahead of you or have been there before to to sort of give you some of their kind of sage um, insights and experiences which but the first thing is you've got to know what the challenge is and, mm-hmm. and that actually can be the hardest yeah. <laughs> part of, of knowing what the problem is the rest I think can be easier um, yeah absolutely and, and so can you tell us a bit about your journey into leadership then was it always going to be the plan that you were chief exec or did you just find something you were particularly passionate about and I'm, ac- I'm an accidental everything really I'm an accidental <laughs> uh, leader accidental founder accidental 
um, landlady when, you know, bought my first house, never sold it, started to rent it and then suddenly became a sort of a landlady without intention. And many things, I think I I wasn't an accidental mom. That was very intentional. I mean, my husband did decide to have family, but most things I sort of have have come to me as I've let those opportunities emerge and I've just rolled with it. Um, so no, I never set out to be a CEO. I did set out to be in the technology industry. I, I always wanted, because my mum did, uh, and so she led the way. She was a fantastic role model, my mum, and therefore I, I got the bug from her, really, of being in tech. Um, she also sort of lit the fire of, you know, building your own, as in she never really had a piece of the pie. She made a lot of other people very successful and wealthy, but didn't get the same benefit. So she sort of saw that and I think has always encouraged me to to make sure that I don't miss that opportunity. So creating my own business, having, you know, being a a founder, a a CEO, a shareholder, an owner, being, you know, being able to kind of um, grow something for for myself and with the team, um, had an attraction really. Um, but it wasn't something I kind of set out to do. It did, it did just sort of happen really. Um, as a leader, um, I'd been sort of in management roles from, from my, from my Mm twenties. Um, but I wouldn't say I've really been a leader and I do think there's a difference. Um, well certainly was for me anyway, I didn't really become a leader in the truest sense as to how I feel it until I was running my own business. Um, I, I think that's when you really think very carefully about how you set the tone and the strategy and the communication and the, mm-hmm. um, and, and it sort of does stop with you yes. <laughs> at that point. And, and I think um, certainly, I know you're a leader in lots of domains, but for me, I think I only started to feel like a leader um, at that point, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> and then, why was that, do you think? Is it because the book clearly stopped with you when you became a CEO? Or... Yeah, I mean, you are, as a manager, a leader in your own way, and you do set the tone and lead by example. But I think this kind of idea of really feeling like it's yours to take responsibility for when there is nobody kind of setting that tone, that direction above you, you can completely own it. It is yeah. completely yours to own and therefore define and therefore uh, it is it is your success ultimately. When others sort of, when you're falling underneath someone's strategy, mission, vision, culture, whatever that might be, you have to align with that. And if you don't 100% align with it, then sometimes I think it could be hard to fully lead authentically as yourself. So I think to be an authentic leader, if you're not setting that kind of tone or have control to set that tone, I think you, there's always a little bit of compromise somewhere. I don't yeah. know. That's that's yeah. a sort of feeling for me. Anyway. It's an interesting distinction to make. And you mentioned authenticity. Do you, do you think that there are characteristics that all leaders need to have in order to be successful or is it case by case? So I have, um, I have two, two angles on this. The first is I, I um, practice strengths, leadership. I, I um, Strengths finders, uh, assessments I do with every single member of my team and we look at those strengths and talk about strengths as weaknesses and and actually building people around their strengths and helping them lean into their strengths and first the first thing is a bit like challenges knowing what they are is the biggest challenge um knowing what your strengths are is also um you know the key to understanding the areas for development and improvement but also is the key to having the best possible sort of working teams and and working relationships. So 
And, and because everybody therefore is unique because of those strengths, actually what's more important, I think, is that as a leader, that you understand those, play to those, and also understand what you're not good at and yes. build those things around you. Um, so I think everybody is unique and therefore we'll build teams around them in a unique way <laughs> to their own strengths. Yeah. Um, um, but equally, I do think there are things which it is valuable for a leader to work to practice, even if it doesn't, it isn't natural to them. I think that is self um, understanding. So what are your strengths or your weaknesses? I think is critically important. Servant leadership for me works. I'm not saying that it's the only way, but I think there is styles of leaderships that will work will work differently for different people based on on their their strengths and characteristics. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing who you are, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses enables you to adopt a style of leadership that works for you that others can then fit in around that works for them. I think that's for me the number one. So being being able to kind of constantly ask yourself, who am I and, and what, what do I bring <laughs> to every interaction and every relationship that that, that that may hold us back or may enable success. And then secondly, I think as part of that, there's a real kind of value in, in, in checking in with um, knowing who you are, but that authentic self. And what I yes. mean by that is it's not about your skills and your characteristics and your talents. It is about checking that you're not um, holding um, the essence of you away from all relationships. So it's great to have an understanding, but are you operating um, transparently, openly, with clarity, and and being the human you mm-hmm. in in those in those situations? Not just kind of putting yourself in a box, going I'm one of these, I'm this character. I'm, you, there's there's a much more humanity to it than just putting yourself in a box and saying I'm good at that, you're good at that. Let's come yeah. together. So I think authenticity is about that human connection. And in order to do that, you have to be quite vulnerable. And Uh I think you have to be open. And I think you have to reveal yourself and be prepared to be vulnerable as a leader. So knowing yourself and being prepared to be vulnerable at getting to true authentic leadership is probably a a never ending (laughs) goal and task for most leaders, but but should be, you know, an obsessive submission, I think, in my view. But yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's real power in that vulnerability as a leader, I think, to be able to demonstrate that for your people, that you can be vulnerable and you can hold your hands up and say, not quite sure, what, especially in the last couple of years, I'm not quite sure what happens next, but here's what we're going to look at. I think that's that's really powerful. It can be really mm. powerful. And so does your style come from a place? Is it, and you mentioned your mum was a big influence previously. Has there been a piece of advice or an experience that you had earlier in your career that shaped that approach to leadership? Yeah, nature, nurture, right? It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. How much is it from our from our foundations and parenting? Mm-hmm. It's hard, isn't it? It's, and again, part of that journey of knowing self comes from constantly asking yourself why you respond and behave to the things you do and where that's come from. Um, so my mum, yeah, was a huge influence because she um, was a, a stay-at-home mum. Then she went to work, and then she became the the powerhouse. <laughs> so she she took she went on this huge journey. And what it proved to me was that you know people can and do um, uh, find find themselves at different points in their lives, and mm-hmm. that you know you 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 don't have to sit in one place and that's right you know yes. or in one box and she yeah. had these different roles and she was these different but she always was consistently her 
So even when she was a mum and even when she was sort of transitioning into having this fantastic career and, and being incredibly successful, um, she was always this same person. And those consistent values, consistent behaviours was a real foundation for me to recognise the importance and value in staying true to yourself and not compromising on those. You can still be successful and do very well and be you and that's good Mm -hmm. enough. So I think that was just something I innately know without having feel like I can taught it, but because she role modelled that brilliantly. Um, So I think that's, that's powerful. Um, So I've never felt like I've had to change me (laughs) good because of that. But I I think that was, that was learned. Okay. I don't think, I think sometimes people feel they have to be a different person at work than they are at home or because they have perhaps mirrored that or, from from their own childhood or seeing that yeah. something differently so no no so now I think that was but um outside of that other other role models um uh, I think I've always been lucky to have come from a big family so my mum's one of seven I've got 20 odd cousins and we all live still in in, in most of us in Yorkshire still mm-hmm. um so I've always had quite a big family network and I met my husband at university. We've been together since I was 19. So we've kind of grown up together. So I'm fortunate that I've had quite a bit of stability and wider family support, which actually as a baseline, there's always people around you, you trust that you can lean on, sound out, talk to that know you uh-huh. that can put a mirror up sometimes and go, I think you're being a little bit paranoid about that. Or actually, I think that might be a little bit of you in there and having a network of people you trust that you can rely on and talk to openly that you respect and can give you feedback throughout your life is not something everybody has. And I think mm-hmm. it's a great way for you to kind of check in and, and, and sound people out to make good decisions for yourself, but also know yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose those people, that you do trust they're the ones that can challenge you that are, are brave yeah. enough brave enough to know that they can say just hang on a oh minute. a very matriarchal family I mean my right. mum and her sisters and my cousins I mean you know they, they they're just we were I was with my cousin this weekend and we we're talking it just how those sisters together when they get together the force of what they're like with each other I mean yeah blunt and brutal honesty <laughs> there is no getting away from that in a big family but there's a beauty of that just you know you someone's going to tell you how it is and talk straight to you and yeah. And you respect it because it kind of comes from a place of love. It yes. comes from a place of love. Yeah. Um, no agenda, you know, yes. but yeah, they'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you need to hear it. I think sometimes. Radical candor. I think that's the name of the lady. That, but that kind of wonderful radical candor you get in kind of families that are a bit bigger because, you know, uh, I think is really, yeah, it's good to be around. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then talking of advice and people that you can turn to, is there... Is there sort of a piece of advice that you either have been given or would share with somebody with your younger self or someone earlier in the career that's looking to you for advice what kind of a what piece of advice would you share with them I've got two favorites and I think I've probably said these before some people may have heard me so I've got my first one is shy bands get out and I just think you know you can get so far in life by just asking just ask And if you can remove the fear of others, stop putting people on pedestals, stop seeing somebody as a job title or a, you know, uh, or that they have 
that they have some kind of prestige or persona or something that makes them unreachable or untouchable invariably it's not there it's in our minds yes. certainly not in theirs and people want to help others innately there's very few people in society that don't but if you ask them for help most times people will say yes right it's especially if what you're saying to them is I really value you and your ideas and your experience you know people go great yeah of course how can I help so I think shy burns get no just ask don't be afraid to ask people come up to me at events and they go oh I'm like just ask me send me an email drop me a message connect to me on LinkedIn I'll try and help if I can't I'll tell you but yeah. if you don't know if you don't ask me so shy bones get now is my, my first and it's a good northern phrase as well yes. which, which I love and my second is givers gain and it's the other side of that shy bones get now it is whether you're the giver or the receiver of a transaction um if never underestimate the power you have to give to others it doesn't matter if you're a graduate and it's your first year in a job the new starter that comes in will still look up to you as somebody with more experience that knows that context and domain so trying to get everybody seeing the value that they have and can give to others means that we can have this um much more kind of supportive society where people are not afraid to ask people are you know, genuinely want to give, but you've got to know that you have something to give first in order to feel like you've got something to contribute. So yeah, give us gain, believe that the more you do for others, it will come back at you and then make sure you ask because actually most people want to give. That's it. And just that mindset, really. <laughs> be, be prepared to give, to, to, to be generous with your time and, and understand the value of what you've got to offer and tell people what you've got to offer as well yeah, <laughs> you know tell them absolutely. yeah I mean, a, bit, a bit about uh, reverse mentoring and, and empowering those new people that are coming into the workforce with the things that they have to offer because you can come out of university and think well, i just didn't know what i'm doing yet or i'm new to the workforce but the the knowledge that they have that they can bring into it's amazing. I mean, God, I, the way they can navigate around the digital ecosystem and the way that they can, um, the speed at which they can sort of transact digitally is so much faster. You know, they they just yeah. they've innately navigate around things that takes me a lot longer. And I look at that speed and I go, maybe I'm never going to be able to do that in the way that they do it. But the fact they can means we just need to be trusting them with the things that then their strengths, right? <laughs> this yeah. is their power. This is their strength. They know how to do this. It's effortless. Give them those things to do and stop wrestling it with yourself, Sandra. <laughs> 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 but, you know, art of delegation, right? That in yeah. itself is an art, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And so thinking about leaders, I know you mentioned that you, you don't like to put people on a pedestal and that individuals are individuals, but are there leaders, past or present, famous or otherwise, that you've particularly admired in the past or something that they've done has resonated with you or their leadership style is is a good match for you? Does anyone stand out? It's such a good question. And, and every I've been asked before and then nobody ever springs to mind because I could I could list a hundred people that I've taken something away from the way they've behaved, mm -hmm. the the way they've approached a certain situation, the way they've dealt with something, the the way they've communicated, the way they've um, you know, uh, thought about something or you know whatever it might be and I've admired that particular kind of trait or behavior and gone oh you know I see a bit of myself in that and I should focus on that a bit more because I reckon I could do that uh -huh. um but I don't there's like not I can't think of that person I think mainly because 
I just genuinely believe I'm I'm me and I'm unique and, and I should focus on making me the best I can be and just picking up the bits from others. And mm-hmm. and I'm not entirely sure focusing on an individual or our leader is always good for people because I don't think anyone can actually match another human because yes. <laughs> uh, you're unique and um, you may therefore always feel that you're never good enough if you're constantly comparing yourself to a person or even just a small group of people. So, um, no, I don't really. Um, but I do try my hardest to, in every sort of engagement, especially with new people that I meet for the first time, to just be as interested as I possibly can be in in them with the time that I've got, right? Because I'm amazed just even in a half hour conversation, how much I could pick up or learn from somebody just by asking a couple of questions that just go a little bit deeper than, so tell me what you do. (laughs) And, you know, so just, you know, and if there's something that I'm puzzling around or a challenge that I'm focusing on um, in my mind that week, that month, something that's, I, I will often, you know, irrespective of who that person is, sort of ask a question that might be related to that and tone it appropriate to the person mm-hmm. because it's you know, some of the insights that some people come up with that have absolutely nothing to do with the business or are relatively inexperienced can be like, absolutely, of course, that's a really good way of looking at it or that's a really good way of thinking about it. So I'm always, I think, yeah, give people the opportunity to contribute, um, but you've got to ask, right? You've got to, you've got to give them the opportunity. Yeah. Um, Really, I don't know how I got to that answer, Renny. Really. I think I've just rattled on an answer to your question, <laughs> but hopefully that was the right uh, the right context. Absolutely, there, there is no wrong answer to that that question. No. I was I was interested in the concept of shadow board. You know, you said everybody's got something to contribute. The concept of shadow board, so forming like a youth shadow board within an organisation, I think is absolutely fascinating and, and probably leans towards what you've just said about everybody. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I I would. You know, I challenge myself because I don't have anybody under the age of 40 around my board. Um, and I would say the average age is quite a lot higher than that. And um, and most of that is our non-execs, right? Our non-execs are older, the exec team are younger. But do I have a voice around our board table that is under the age of 40 now? And, you know, it's something that I think is really it's, not, it's what I'm going to take away from this podcast, actually, <laughs> um, is just thinking about, I know I'm really passionate about diversity, inclusion, mm-hmm. and having the voices at the table. And whilst I think we've got a good level of diversity around gender, I don't think we've, we've, we've really uh, got that on, um, uh, you know, background, uh, ethnicity, for example, but certainly not on age, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I was just really interested in the concept because it was it was more from the perspective and the conversation was going down the route of obviously diversity on the board but from a retention point of view because they were saying that they there was this organization was struggling to retain people and could you give them more than the the day-to-day job and so that opportunity to be on a shadow board and sit with the ceo or sit with the cfo or you know have that kind of involvement could be great for retention as well as your diversity in your in your board structure. I like it a lot. You've got my head's now swimming. <laughs> good, good. Ooh, I can bring somebody into my boardroom and not terrify the board members. I'm not actually worried about the junior members <laughs> or the, the younger person or whoever it might be. I actually think I think I've, I think our board members might be worried to me, which would be quite funny. Uh, anyway, but yeah, what a lovely thought. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so in terms of in terms of you and your your leadership style what I'm always really interested in is when I'm speaking with the human CEOs that are on the podcast, I always want to understand what you're reading, what you're influenced by, if there was a podcast or an audio book or a book that you're either reading at the moment or has influenced you in the past. Does anything stand out there? So I've become a little bit obsessed with Blinks or the, the app that allows you to digest books really quickly. Yes. Now, I like reading a book. Um, I'm dyslexic and therefore tend to get past chapter three and lose interest because it's taking me too long. Um, so blinks work brilliantly for me mm -hmm. because I can get the essence essence of something. And then if I really want to read the book, I go and buy the book. Yeah. And then maybe still only get to chapter three. <laughs> but the point being, I, you know, I get, uh, I love that. It works really, really well for my learning style. And, and I tend to hear somebody mention, so 4,000 weeks, somebody mentioned last last week to me and I was like oh that sounds like an interesting listen to the blink got any got enough out of it and to kind of go actually I, I think I might might buy that one and read yeah. that one that feels so I think um what I really love is the ability to do like you're doing ask people what is it you're reading what's really and digest it quickly and get the essence of it um formative books the art of happiness actually by the Dalai Lama was a book that um really resonated with me in my 20s and again that grounding of you know what is, who are you and what makes you happy and being being your authentic self I think there's something that you know that that really resonated with me as a kind of good go-to book um, um but from a business book point of view seven habits of highly effective people is a really hard one to beat yeah. actually yeah. I still use the Urgent Important Matrix from Eisenhower. I, I, I literally have, and I'm very old school, it's printed out on a piece of paper and every day I print it out, you know, and everyone's going, I've got all these kind of tablets and they're all writing it on and kind of, you know, all very fancy and folding, you know, filing stuff away in their tablets. And brilliant, you know, and I probably should. But there's something physical about, a bit like really, you know, I can listen to a blink, but sometimes I do want to buy the book and hold it in my hand yeah. and read it turn the pages the same with this kind of I like to have this urgent important grid in front of me prioritize and move things around um on this piece of paper and um it's just been a brilliant discipline for me it's worked really well so I I think you know it's timeless classic <laughs> it's a turn and I do point people at it um I do point people at it um so yeah but I just think blinks are brilliant really really good way to just kind of get the kind of concepts around any subject you can imagine as well yeah, yeah. good book. tip yeah brilliant and so tell us what's going to be happening over the next six nine twelve months at pan intelligence that you can share with us um so a good question who knows after the last <laughs> two years um so i think you know what we do know is um uh the only thing that's certain is uncertainty not the first date time that's been said right uh -huh. um so actually i think um we've as a team in the last two years learned how you know, the, the true meaning of the word agile <laughs> and the true meaning of the word, you know, ha, you know, the kind of change is inevitable and continuous and adaption and expecting things to be uncertain has become a, a way of thinking and working now, which is not bad, I think, for a, a culture in some ways. We, it's great to have a vision and, a, a, you know, and a strategy and a purpose and a core set of values and a framework. But like my mum lived to her values through throughout her transitions in her career. But actually, you know, as my mum lived to her core values, she changed massively from being the stay-at-home mum to being the incredible career woman that she was. So, you know, 
helping, I think for me, helping my team as the business grows to know what are the things they can rely on that that can be the constants, that are important to be the constants. Yeah. And all the things that they sh- everyone should expect to change and helping people find a comf- comfortable place between these are the things that we stand for and who we are and what we're about and who you are and what you're about in this organisation. So yeah. a level of safety, but enabling people to also become comfortable with the change and the lack of certainty that I think we're going to continue to live through. Um, yeah. I don't think we're, we're sitting in a position of certainty, even for many of years to come. And I think there's a lot of talk of well-being, mental health. And I think that's because people are just trying to find somewhere to be safe with all of this change and uncertainty. And I think as a job as a leader is trying to find that space between what, what is, what is, what is true to who we are and what we do and, and, and what people need to, to adapt to. Um, so I think that's the challenge. <laughs> I think a lot of leaders are, are kind of challenged by that at the moment. And I hear a lot of my peers talking about, you know, this um, just a limbo that we're sort of in with everything from working from home to, yeah. um, you know, changes in, in uh, you know, cost of living and what, what the impact that has on their people and, and sort of mental health and well-being. So I think we're all adapting to that. But um, yeah, that feels like a, a leadership objective next year. As far as the business goes, we're continuing to grow internationally, you know, growing the team. Um, you know, we, as, as most ambitious tech companies, we're going to take on the world and yep. <laughs> we're going to be top right of the magic quadrant, whatever quadrant that is. Um, so yeah, great ambitions for growth, but I think fundamentally at its core, um, what's really important to me and my exec team is that we, as we scale and grow, we maintain that kind of core values and, um, you know, heart that our business has got really well known for. Um, and if we achieve that, I think that would be huge. <laughs> I think so. Brilliant. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, Andrew. So thank you for, for making the time and sharing your story. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Amy. And uh, yeah, uh, good luck with the podcast. I think uh, it's a brilliant thing that you're doing this and sharing people's stories. So thank you. Thank you.